Good morning again, Christ Community Church. If you would be turning in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8, as we'll be in verses 1 through 11 this morning. And the key truth that we want to take away from this text this morning is this, that God's wisdom pursues and calls us, calls to us throughout all of life, offering blessings of eternal value. Let me read that again. God's wisdom pursues and calls to us throughout all of life, offering blessings of eternal value. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way? At the crossroads, she takes her stand beside the gates in front of the town. At the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of men. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we step into this text this morning, we need to remember the structure of the introduction to the book of Proverbs, which is chapters 1 through 9. Remember the, the preamble, essentially, that, that uh, showed us what Proverbs is seeking to form in and through us who fear the Lord. So fearing the Lord is the foundation, and the character formation is that we would be righteous, just, and equitable. As a result of growing in God's wisdom, all of the things that are displayed in God's character and more importantly, displayed in the incarnation of Christ himself. So essentially, Proverbs is shaping us into the image of Christ himself, who is God's wisdom incarnate. And remember that the first interlude of Lady Wisdom, she was crying aloud in the marketplace. And she was crying aloud to the same people that she's crying aloud to here, the simple ones, the wicked, the foolish, the ones who need God's wisdom. And you also remember that she had some harsh words for those who would forsake what she has to say. And so there's, a, there's some similarities here, uh, but there's also, again, that progression. And we'll see that here in just a moment. And then remember, after that, there was a series of lectures by the teacher to the student to, to argue for the value of wisdom and to show how it is a lived reality, how it is it makes sense in the world that God created according to the order that God has given to the world. And so what we have here in chapters 7 through 9, we heard part of 7 last week, I would encourage you to read all of 7 yourself. One of the reasons we didn't get to all of it was, was some of the content and given that we have children in the service. But it's important that we recognize 7 through 9 is the teacher's final plea to the student to recognize the difference between Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And we will hear both of their offers, and we need to make sure that we recognize how they are very different, how Lady Wisdom cries aloud throughout all of life, whereas Lady Folly sits in one place and waits for the foolish to pass by who don't recognize uh, their own path, who don't recognize their own desires and temptations, and, and offers death instead of life, whereas Lady Wisdom offers the words of life eternal, life more abundant. And so as we step into the text, I have a question for us that is worthy of our consideration. 
Um, what, what areas of your life do you have so fully under control that you don't need any help from God's eternal wisdom? That'd be good for us to even pause in silence for a bit and just consider, look over our lives. Where do you feel so in control? What area do you think you have so mastered that you, you don't need any more wisdom? You don't need anything from God who is eternal. You don't need any insight. Uh, you don't need to, to show any sort of uh, prudence at all uh, in dealing with things. Where do you have that kind of mastery? You may think, well, that's a dumb question. No, it's, a, it's actually a great question because we function as if we do, even though we know we don't. And so it's important that we recognize, first and foremost, that God's wisdom speaks to every area of life, business, relationships, sexuality, gender, personhood, justice, righteousness, politics. There's no subject that we could mention for which us being righteous, just, and equitable doesn't have an impact of some, some kind. That, that God's wisdom doesn't speak to in some form or fashion so as to help us navigate those various areas of life so that He would be glorified, and more importantly, that we would be filled with, with joy and life more abundant as a result of being obedient and fearing Him. And so we need to first confess that, that the Bible does speak to all of life. And then secondly, that we, because of our limitedness and finitude and sinfulness and brokenness, uh, and even, even on our best day, see through a glass darkly, as 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, we ought to, in humility, recognize we need some help. And what a gift it is that we who fear the Lord have access to, the, to all of the heavenly blessings, to all the heavenly wisdom that is in God and the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ who makes intercession for us. We need to recognize what we have access to as a result of our brokenness. What a great gift it is to us that God doesn't say, you aren't fit for this wisdom. No, He makes us fit in Christ to live out what it is that He has ordered in the world, His will, His redemptive will. And so as we step into this text, that's what we want to hear, the call that we want to hear, that, that wisdom's valuable call that goes out through all of life. Notice what the teacher says. He says, does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? Now take note of the different, how this, these places are different than what was mentioned in chapter 1. On the heights beside the way. At the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. Now notice in chapter 1, she was in the midst of the marketplace crying aloud. So everywhere they lived, worked, and played. Now she's crying out even beyond. She's now outside the city. She's on the heights. Interestingly, a lot of times that is where idolatrous worship was conducted, was on the heights. So she cries aloud even there. She cries aloud uh, along the byways at the crossroads coming into the city, at the portal gates outside of the city. So this isn't just uh, internal wisdom that only works in a certain set or community. No, this wisdom travels. This wisdom can speak to any and every area of life in any place, any time. So it transcends both circumstance uh, and context. This wisdom defines circumstance and context. This is a kind of wisdom that, that pursues us. Notice she's willing to follow even as we would depart from the city, as we would depart from the safe confines of what we know. 
wisdom is there. The question is, do we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear? See, God's wisdom is, is, is available to us in every area of life. I love the way the psalmist puts it when he says, there's no place that I could go from your spirit. Even if I were to go into the grave, you are there. Even if I find myself in darkness, it is as light to you. This is the beauty of God's wisdom, is that no place, nowhere, no circumstance cuts it off from us, his people. What a gift that there is no circumstance in which we couldn't find ourselves for which God doesn't provide a way out of that temptation. There's no dark circumstance in which we could find ourselves that his voice is blunted or kept from our ears. Question is, are we listening? And again, notice who she cries to. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. So that's essentially everyone. And then it gets specific. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Again, notice the great grace of God in this, that she's not only crying out to those who already know, She's crying out to those who need her. Now, here's the real question. Do we recognize that we, in varying ways, are the simple ones? That we are oftentimes the fool without God's wisdom? See, remember Christ's words in Mark chapter 2 when he's dining with sinners and the Pharisees are wondering what in the world he's doing. He says, look, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for those who are in need of a physician, those who are sick and need healing, essentially those who recognize their, their finitude and their brokenness. And in the same way, we see that here, that God's wisdom is crying out to those who know they need her. So yet again, we are confronted with, do you know your need? Do you recognize that you in and of yourself can never be wise in and of yourself without fear of the Lord and God's wisdom? Do, do you recognize that it requires the work of the Holy Spirit in us to help us understand the things of the Spirit. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He makes it very clear that if you're not spiritual, you cannot understand spiritual things. That's why it's not enough to know Scripture. It's not enough to just read the Bible. Many atheists have read the Bible. In fact, Sam Harris would argue the single best thing you can do is read the Bible because it's so confusing. It would lead you away from God. That's not true. Mark Twain said it as well. He says it's not the parts he doesn't understand that bother him. It's the part he does understand that really concern him. But see, that's to read with an unspiritual mind. That's to read without a fear of the Lord. In fact, they probably were searching for proof as to why they don't want to be Christians. Well, that's easy to find. But the real question is, will we in faith trust the Lord who made everything? Will we in humility recognize the, 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 our own finitude, our own limitedness, and our own need for God's word, God's direction? Will, will we read with, 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 the, with eyes and ears transformed by the power of the gospel? Because if we don't, this isn't, this isn't a knowledge, we don't have a knowledge problem. What we have is a heart issue. So we have to remember that, that, that we are being cried out to by wisdom because of our grand need for her and because of God's great grace, she pursues and calls to us. Are you listening? Are we listening? Think about the time that we're in. Do we need wisdom to navigate this present circumstance? Oh, you better believe we do. And I wish that we cared more about it than we, we did the actual uh, being right about a given circumstance. Now, what we would be more concerned about is being wise, 
Because wise actually transcends rightness. Sometimes you can be right at the top of your lungs and be nothing but wrong because of how it destroys a relationship, how it pushes someone away. And you may say, well, the, you know, the truth sometimes hurts and wounds. It should not in your hands. It should only hurt or wound in the power of the gospel so that it can be healed. We, we need to be more concerned about growing in wisdom for the life of the world, for the preservation of community, for the preservation of God's glory than we are about getting our way. We need to be righteous, just, and equitable. And notice she says here, for I will speak noble things and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. This is in contrast to Lady Folly who speaks flattering things, things that, that seem good on the front end, but ultimately are not considered and lead to death. Remember from a few weeks ago in, in one of the lectures where the teacher made it very clear that Lady Folly doesn't consider where things lead to. She couldn't care less. She is purely in the moment and doesn't think about the implications or the impact of what she's doing that ultimately leads to death. Whereas Lady Wisdom has well considered what it is that she is crying aloud, well considered these noble things of God, the glory of God, the, the beauty of the gospel. She speaks words of life that are simple, actually, that we can hear and that we can actually understand if we are firmly grounded in the fear of the Lord. If we are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit redeemed in union with Christ. And she makes it very clear that, that her words are righteous and there's nothing twisted or crooked about them. These words are, are, are not intended to lead us astray or do us uh, or to take anything from us. So often we act as if God is just a cosmic killjoy wanting to rob us of great experience. No, quite the contrary. What he wants us to be able to do is enjoy things for a long, long time. He wants us to be able to appreciate the true depths of beauty and joy and glory uh, and goodness and, and his kindness. He wants us to be able to revel in those things. He wants us to be able to actually revel in our sexuality in its right context. Right? He wants us to revel in the work that he has given into our hands under the right circumstances. He wants to, us to revel in his good provision to us, sometimes hard won, hard fought for, sometimes long over time. But he wants us to be able to truly, uh, without any sort of, of, of guilt or shame, revel in what he has given to us. That should be our desire as well, and this is the call of Lady Wisdom. And she goes on to say, they are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. And she's making it very clear that if there's any confusion, it is not on the part of wisdom itself, it's from the individual. How often are we coming to Scripture with preconceived ideas and notions, searching for an answer that we already have decided instead of asking of God's word and God's wisdom, is this wise and being willing to accept when he says, no, it isn't. And so she makes it very clear that if there's any sort of dif difficulty, it's on the side of the individual who's failing to listen, who's failing to be attentive, who's failing to show discretion, who's failing to show prudence, who's failing to pursue that which is good um, and do so from the perspective of fear of the Lord. 
And she goes on to say, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. It's critically important that we recognize who is saying this. Solomon, do you know the access that he had to silver and gold? This would be a great place for us to flip to Ecclesiastes and see his declaration that he has held back nothing from himself and all of it proved to be ephemeral and meaningless when, when he chose to use it for his own purposes instead of for the glory of the Lord. Instead of being able to take joy in it without shame or guilt because it was a gift from God's hand instead of seeing it as what he had gained in his own strength and power. So for him to say that God's wisdom is more important than, than choice gold or silver would be the equivalent of this. Many of you I know watched the documentary, The Last Dance, which was about Michael Jordan's last run with the Chicago Bulls uh, when, when they win that last championship. And it was astonishing. Susan watched it with me and, and she, I grew up on it. Jordan was a huge hero of mine. I'm a North Carolina guy, uh, became a Bulls fan because of him. Um, and it was, it was amazing to see how focused he was on winning. Winning for him was everything. Not it, it could cause the death of relationships. He was hard on everybody around him. He sometimes would have to make up an enemy in order to motivate himself. And there were times where Susan commented, she said, he just seems bitter. Uh, he just seems angry that it's all over. But, but think about what, what it would have been like if maybe the last couple of episodes of The Last Dance, what we saw was Michael Jordan in great humility and brokenness saying, but none of that meant anything. What really would have mattered is if I'd have pursued the wisdom of the Lord and sought to glorify Christ as King. Do you have any idea the impact that would have? Do you have any idea how those words would resonate? Or Tom Brady, when he was asked how much is enough, it's never enough. What would it look like if Tom Brady's were to say, no, actually, I have, I have essentially wasted my time and my life on something that is fleeting. I, I would instead that I would honor and glorify the Lord and, and, and pursue God's wisdom. Do you have any idea what the impact of those words from those two men would be on our culture? When the same way for Solomon to say, wisdom is more important than gold, this isn't somebody who, who didn't know. This isn't someone who didn't have access to any and every riven thing he, he could have put his hand to or snapped his fingers and received immediately. So these words have an intense weight that we need to recognize. This man knows of what he speaks. And what's interesting is early on he had prayed for wisdom and the Lord granted it to him. But he ended up forsaking it, chasing after lovers far less wild, only to come to reflect in the book of Ecclesiastes, that that was a huge mistake on his part and repent of that mistake. And even Proverbs is evidence of him seeking to try to help the coming generations not make the same mistakes that he had made. And so he's making it very clear that wisdom is truly the greatest value, that God's wisdom is truly what matters. It's what gives meaning to life because all of life is fleeting. Life in the gospel has eternal implications. When we live for eternity, 
We, we are investing in, as, as Christ calls us to in the Sermon on the Mount in, in chapter 6 when he says, don't store up for yourself treasures where thief can grab or moth can destroy or rust can come in. Instead, store up treasures in heaven. We're often, we often don't pause and go, okay, but what does that actually mean? What does that look like? We, we see it, we say it, and we leave it in this very abstract philosophical sense, whereas I think we would do better to take stock of our lives and try to discern what actually is investing in the eternal. Well, one place we know because we saw Christ do it is to invest in those around us for their greater good and the greater cause of the gospel. It's disciples who make disciples. That is an investment in eternity. For those of you who are parents, what this looks like is that you, you would train your children up in the way that they should go in the fear of the Lord. That you would help them to see not just, not just moral behaviorism or sin management, but a life lived in the beauty and the truth of the gospel. That, that they would see that the scriptures actually speak truly of our condition and don't shy away from talking about the ills and the foibles and the mistakes of the church from its inception. Or the ills and foibles of government since its inception. For as long as you have people, you will have sin and brokenness and problems. And there will always be a need for Christ, always be a need for the power of the Holy Spirit, always be a need for God's wisdom. And so you as parents have the opportunity to help them live in a more dynamic reality as they age. And what we see here is along the way here, Solomon has, as the teacher, added things along the way that help to mature the student. We too should do the same. Again, keeping an eye on not letting it shift into just sin management or just moral behaviorism, which too much of our parenting, I think, sometimes does. In fact, too much of our church, church discipline, leadership, etc., too much of that is just sin management and, and moral behaviorism. And so we, the, the church as leaders, also need to, to recognize this reality. We need to invest in relationships and not, not think that systems are going to solve the problem and not think that distance is going to make a difference, but instead to draw near, recognizing there are seasons where we'll be closer to some people than others, and as they mature, they can go on and invest in other people. It's important that we recognize our small groups, that they need to be focused on eternal things, not, not, not just fighting over silly things and not allowing Satan to creep in and cause division, um, and make sure that when we do quit, we quit well like Christians. Again, always keeping an eye on God's glory. God's glory is eternal. So when we do anything that has that as its focus, you can be assured that it is of eternal value. Did you know you can eat a meal to God's glory? That's what Ecclesiastes says. Did you know that you can enjoy the Sabbath? You can enjoy God's creation, and that has eternal value when that is your perspective when your eyes and ears are attuned and open to how God is speaking to you, when it creates a deeper gratitude in you, then you know you are trafficking in the eternal. What a gift to us that the Bible is clear as to what eternal things look like. When we look more like Jesus, we care about justice. right? We're, we're, we're trafficking in the eternal, and I mean justice all the way down, not just some superficial justice or some sort of abstract philosophical discussions on justice, but actually getting involved in the lives of those who are cut off, oppressed, and marginalized. 
And so it's, it's, it's critically important that we, we be the example of those who have heard wisdom's cry throughout all of life, who evidence that, yes, it is more valuable than gold or silver, that we recognize that the pursuit of God's wisdom is going to mean that there are other things that we can't pursue or don't even have time to pursue. See, too often we treat the things of God as what's left for whatever margin we have not even planned for. Well, that straight away says, well, then it's not of much value. You have valued everything else. Deeply convicted, uh, John Unwichekwa gave a talk on prayer, and he was talking about his mother. And I'm not, so hear me rightly, what I'm about to say, I'm not saying that this is what you all should do, and if you don't do this, you're not nearly as spiritual. It just was convicting. He said that they were frequently late for school because his mother said, it's far more important for you to read the word, pray, and sing a hymn before you go out into the world. And he also said that every time they're on the phone, she never lets him get off the phone without praying for him, no matter what the time constraint is. And if for some reason he's got to go, she's going to leave him a voicemail prayer. And that's a, that's a very convicting and humbling commitment to the things of the Lord. And the results have been amazing in her children. John Omechekwa is a pastor, I believe his brother's in ministry as well. All of his siblings are believers. And that was, a, again, not one-to-one, not because she did those things, but she, she evidenced that God's word, God's wisdom was far more valuable than anything else. I would argue we can, we can, from a time management perspective, plan so you don't have to necessarily be late for anything. But how often is that the case with us? How often is it true of us that God's wisdom gets the primary part of us, the primary portion of our time, the first order, as opposed to what scraps are left and often having not enough left to even be included? But this is where I think it's important that we recognize wisdom is throughout all of life. There's a way in which we can function that it's not always separate, that it can actually be part and parcel of who and whose we are as we go through life. The question is, are we praying for the eyes to see and the ears to hear? If you would hear what Derek Kidner has to say about this passage, he says, uh, of the whole chapter, he says, this is a chapter which is to soar beyond time and space. It opens at street level to make it clear, first, that wisdom, that the wisdom of God is as relevant to the shopping center as to heaven itself. Second, that it is available to the various, the various dunce. Third, that it is active in seeking us so that our own search, earnest as it has to be, is a response, not an uncertain quest. Essentially, he's saying it is God who has pursued us. And even though we are called to seek out the things of the Lord, that is, it's, it's a response. We didn't start the journey. The Lord pricked something in our heart. There was an effectual call in the Holy Spirit to be drawn to him. And we are responding to that call in the way we seek wisdom out. And notice how he says it. It is not an uncertain quest. Knock and seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you according to Christ. So the question that I have for us is, how has God pursued you with his wisdom throughout the various areas of your life? This is a great question for you to consider on this Lord's Day Sabbath. It's one of the ways in which you get to declare how God has been good to you. Um, I, I think about my own life and how he has called to me from so many different places and used so many different circumstances. A word fitly spoken in due season, just when I was about to go under something in in the flow of life would come across unexpected 
but seen and heard so as to glorify the Lord. And so, so how has he done that for you? Uh, how has he pursued you with his wisdom throughout the various areas of your life? And then what have you gained from his wisdom that is of greater value than any temporal world, worldly offering? That's an important question for us to consider as well in a way in which we again can declare God's goodness. I can say to you that the reconciliation that has been brokered in and through my own life and family are far more valuable to me than any, any of the books that I own, than any of the things that I've accomplished, than anything I have gained, any plant I have planted, anything. There is nothing that I have that is more valuable to me than the ability to go and have lunch with my daughter and it be a joyous occasion, a celebration of God's goodness. There's nothing more important to me than to be able to go and celebrate with my son and, and see my granddaughter. There's nothing more important to me than the ease that the Lord has granted Susan and I in our marriage and just the, 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 the glorious way in which we are able to serve each other and laugh and enjoy and take joy in each other. I would not trade any of that for anything else. And just the fact that I have uh, an eternal purpose and calling that is of great value to me and I hope it is to you as well. So Proverbs 8, 1 through 11 teaches us that God's wisdom pursues and calls us throughout all of life, offering blessings of eternal value. Do you recognize this? Are you hearing where he is calling to you from? And are you prioritizing and evidencing the worth of God's wisdom in how you live? Let's pray. Father, thank you that <clears throat> you are so gracious to pursue us, to call to us in all of the places where we may find ourselves, both in the city and outside the city both in our ignorance and when we think we know some stuff. God, thank you that your wisdom is more valuable and more true than anything that we could find or, or gather for ourselves. Thank you that you long for us to walk in newness and abundance and eternality of life. Thank you that your desire for us is greater than our desires could ever want for or, or know. God, thank you that you are so gracious to us uh, to grant to us this, these things of such eternal value. Help us to prioritize, help us to hear, help us to see, help us to act on what you have given to us so as to grow in righteousness, justice, and equitability, so as to look more like Jesus for the life of the world. In Christ's name, amen.